0: And Father, we pray that we would just grow close to you and that we could follow you as you lead us, God, into your presence. And it's in your name we pray, God. Amen. Amen. That's what we want right there, is to be a church of individual people led by the power of the Holy Spirit. How incredible would that be? And that's what we have going on here. Well, take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I am really, really excited about the message today. And whenever I open up God's word, it's an honor and it's humbling and I just am excited every week. But whenever there's a week when we have a scripture passage that is so easily misunderstood and so many people are confused by it, it just gets me extra stoked to dive in to a passage like Ephesians chapter 5. Today's message is about the beautiful role of submission in marriage. And you heard me right. We're going there today. The beautiful role of submission. And if you think this is going to be a spicy topic today, just wait until next week when we look at the man's role, the husband's role in a marriage to love his wife like Christ loved the church. That will be spicy, let me tell you. And that will be challenging. So ladies, do whatever you can do to get your man here, boyfriend, whoever it is, next week. You're going to want him there for that one. But marriage is something worth fighting for. And we're talking about a truth here today that we can't afford to miss. Because the marriage is under attack. The home is under attack. We hear everything from our culture saying the opposite of what we see here in Scripture today. And I want to acknowledge right up front here. For just a second, though, not everyone in here is married. We have a lot of single people in here. We have some people who are still in the home. And I want you to know right now, just because you're single does not mean you're a second-class person in the church. It doesn't mean that at all. We covered this a while back when we were going through the book of First Corinthians. We had that called-out series. And in chapter 7, the name of that sermon was The Case for singleness. And there was really only two points from that whole passage. It was marriage is a is a gift with purpose and challenge. And point two was singleness is a gift with purpose and challenge. Did you see how creative I got that week? But it's the same. And, and, and there are things you can do as a single person that I cannot do. And you are called to light this world on fire for Jesus. So I know there's some of you in this room, you're single, you're thriving, you love it. That is perfect, stay right there. I also know there's others of you who are single and it's hard, right? You're, you're struggling a little bit with that and, and, and there's, there's doubts and there's fears and I know what that's like. I was like a 25-year-old bachelor. I hadn't even met Julie yet and I was much more in that head space of like, what am I doing, where am I going with my life and it was, it was very difficult. But here's the thing, Jesus loves you and he has a plan for you and what you're going through in this season of life If you can learn the truth that you need to learn from it, God can use that so much greater. And it can make the next season, whatever that next season looks like, it can be so much sweeter. So take heart, keep keep hungry for Jesus, and you're going to do amazing things. Now, statistically speaking, 90% of us in this room at some point in our lives are going to be married. Okay, so even if you're not married right now, you're going to probably be married at some point in your life. And marriage is not just a thermometer to what's going on in our culture around us. Marriage is really like a thermostat, all right? Marriage is a thermostat that actually sets the, the, the temperature of our surroundings. Um, if you have been influenced by a healthy marriage, Do you realize that your relationships can thrive, fears can be quelled? All kinds of positive things come from being around people who are in a healthy marriage. But if your life is is surrounded by people who are in unhealthy, broken marriages, you know, that thermostat is broken. It's kind of like the thermostat broken in July, right? It starts to feel like Hades out there. And then you feel the heat. You feel the tension surrounding you. And, I mean, you've probably heard it said, war is hell, Well, a broken marriage is the same thing. That's hell too. And I'm telling you, there's very unfortunate similarities in the fact that you can have collateral damage, you can have innocent victims. All those things come into play. So we have to realize that God's design for marriage is so much better than anything we could ever spin. Because you're never gonna hear the truth that marriage is something... For a husband and a wife to show the picture of the gospel. You're not going to hear that from Hollywood. You're not going to hear that from the Ellen DeGeneres of this world. And as funny as they may be, as well-intentioned as they may be, the passage that we're going to see today reads much, much differently. Much differently in the Bible. God's design for marriage is in Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. So let's go ahead and read the text. Starting in Verse 22. So we're focusing on verses 22 through 24 today. That's where we're going to be this morning. And the thing that jumps out right away when you read this passage is how different God's view of marriage is with the world's view of marriage. I already alluded to this. But as Doxa Church, our mission statement is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. In our name, Doxa most of you already know this, but we always continually bring this up because it's a good reminder. The name doxa is the word for glory. It's the New Testament word for glory. And as a church, that, that's what we're called to do. We're called to glorify God. And God's glory is everything that is true about him. It's his justice, it's his mercy, it's his love, his patience, all those attributes of God. When we live those out with our life, we're an image bearer, we're showing God's glory. We're glorifying God. And in the context of marriage, we see specifically in verses 31 and 32 exactly what that looks like, glorifying God in marriage. This mystery is profound. It's a picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ sacrificing his life, giving everything that he had for the bride, for the church. So as we display the glory of God we are also displaying the profound mystery of the picture of the gospel. And yeah, next week, we're going to go into all the rest of these verses, verses 25 through 33. And today, we have to just say, look, before we even cover 22 through 24, the submission part, let's get the foundation down first. Submission is not something that is negative, I know it's been vilified out there in our culture, but if we don't start with this foundational truth that marriage is a picture of the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation, if we don't start with that foundation, you're never gonna understand submission. Marriage is ultimately about painting a picture of the gospel, not your happiness. Not your happiness. And and lots of well-meaning people, good intentioned people will say, look, you know, point of marriage is be fulfilled and you become happier person than you'll ever become before if you're married and you're doing marriage the right way. That's not, that's not the way we see it in the Bible. What we see in scripture is it's a package deal. If if we aim to glorify God, if we aim in our marriage, our purpose in marriage is to show who God is and, and, and display this beautiful painting and this picture of Jesus Christ, you know what we're going to get along with that? A side result to that is we will get happiness. 100% every single time. If your purpose in marriage is to glorify God and to show the love of Jesus Christ and paint that picture, you're going to get happiness. But If your aim is just to be happy and content and be fulfilled, you're not going to have that stay forever. That emotion and those feelings will come and go, and you're going to get neither one of these things. You're not going to be painting the picture of the gospel, and you're not going to stay happy. So look again at verse 22 with me. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is where we're going to get our first point today. Number one is recapture the essence of submission. We have to take this definition back. And words are very, very important. Um, our church did a, did a service project last just yesterday with Samaritan's Purse. It was awesome. For those of you who are there, yeah, Chris is like shouting back. There. It was so great. Um, we got to go help a person in Spartanburg who had a tree fall in their garage. And we just cleaned it up. And we were talking with this homeowner the whole time. And he was a... A uh, Professor at USC Upstate. And he was talking about how he writes during the summer. And I was like, "Yeah, I love, I love writing. I write like a five thousand word document every week. and i I talked about that. Um, but I, I can't do my job if I don't love words. words words are very important to communicate truth. And here's the thing. I also know at the same time, words change over time, right? Uh, language is malleable. It's always changing. Sly doesn't mean the same thing it used to mean. Girl doesn't mean the same thing it used to mean. Uh, you can just go down the list. There's all kinds of words that change their meaning over time, and I'm fine with that. That's cool. But whenever you have a word that Jesus embodied, and that Jesus taught, and it's a theological term that represents the truth of the gospel, the deepest thing, like I don't want to see words like that lose their meaning. I don't want those words to change their meaning. And I don't think Christ would either. So I looked up the word submission. I, I usually go to a thesaurus like every week. Every week when I'm making my outlines, I'm always looking at thesauruses. Here are your synonyms for submission. Are you ready for this? Let's take a quick look. Um, this is, yeah, this is it right here. I just screenshotted it. Capitulation, resignation, acquiescence, appeasement, defeatism uh, what do we got? Non-resistance, passiv- passivity, like the list goes on and on. Like what little girl would ever get excited about this concept? Are, are you kidding me? <laughs> it looks terrible. It, it looks, sounds so awful. But what we're seeing in the Bible is submission is not some restrictive, dirty, negative word. That's what the world shouts at us. But in the Bible, it's it's always presented in a positive sense. So I think this is time for a list. If we ever needed a list, we need a list here. What is submission not? That's gonna be the list. I know I could put a million things on what submission is not, but we're gonna make a list of what submission is not. These are the things that people confuse with biblical submission, okay? First of all, submission is not subjugation. That's where we're gonna start right there. Let's start with the big one. Submission is not subjugation. The Bible never teaches that one human being should force another human being to do their will. It's just not in the Bible anywhere. And husbands, you know, if you think that, you know, the the role of biblical submission means that you can play this whole card of like, you need to do what I say right now because you're my wife and you need to submit. If you play that card, believe me. Well, first of all, you've never experienced real marriage to see how that would actually go. But that's not what the Bible is teaching, okay? That's, that's not there at all. That's not what we're, what we're told submission is. Well, how do I know that? How, how, how can I be so sure? 100% confident that's not what the Bible is saying? Well, look at verse 22. Who is being addressed here? First of all, this command is not, it has nothing to do with the husband. This is directly spoken to the wives. Okay, and honestly, the fact that it says wives submit to your husbands, you get into the original language, this is in the middle tense. And this, is, this is actually really crucial and key to understanding how to interpret this. The fact that it's in the middle tense, does that mean it's this command for the wife to follow as, as a passive follower of it? Okay, I have to, okay, I, all right, sure, I'll follow. No, it's in the middle tense, meaning this is something that God asks the wife to voluntarily do. So it's not the man saying, you do this because I told you to. It's the wife saying, you know what? I realize this is what God is asking me to do, and I'm going to voluntarily do it. That's a whole lot different than you saying, hey, do this for me because I want you to. Julie and I, you know, just just thinking about how this works, (laughs) there's a lot of examples I could share, but Julie and I, when kids are in bed, it's at night, you know, we're, we're hanging out, we're talking, we want to watch something. I'm commanded in the Bible to get to know my wife. So I know that she doesn't like his, history documentaries on Netflix. I know that she doesn't like sci-fi stuff. So it's not even my move. It's not even a good play to even ask her to watch that kind of stuff because I already know how she feels about it. So I just go with, hey, what do you want to watch? And she'll say something like, Gilmore Girls. And then she'll fall asleep 30 minutes in, and then I get to play the video game and do my hobby the way I want it. It's a win-win for everybody. But here's the thing. Subjugation is not submission at all. It's a call for the wife to voluntarily obey, never for the husband to demand. And we have to stop thinking about submission as something that you tell someone to obey you in. Next, submission is not servitude, okay? It has nothing to do with waiting on someone hand and foot. That's another foreign concept to scripture. It's just not in there. Now, we are called to serve Jesus, and Jesus shows us that if you're going to be a servant leader, a servant leader, that's the kind of true, that's true leadership right there. So serving others, there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to get over the stereotypical 1950s perversion of what submission is. In our world, from the beginning of time, there's always been an element of our own human natural fallen nature. The darkness that is in this world where we want to have someone serve us. And we would like to lord over someone. There's always going to be temptation to do that. But we can't confuse that with what Jesus taught on being a servant. Serving out of love and humility is great. But servitude to the point that you lose your own identity... That's a really big problem. Some ladies find themselves in that, and that is not what biblical submission is. Ladies, you have every right to go ahead and say, um, get off the recliner and go make your own dang sandwich. Like, that's not, servitude is not submission, right? Uh, next, Next one, it's not degradation either. This has nothing to do with ability. This has nothing to do with inferiority. There's gonna be areas where your wife is smarter than you husbands. You better believe it. And there might even be a few areas where the husband's smarter than the wife. You know what I mean? Like, imagine that. But no, seriously, degradation is not submission. We see this in Scripture, right? The Holy Spirit submitted to the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son, submits to God the Father. The Son, the Spirit, and the Father, they're all equal. If you were to sit here and say, oh, well, Jesus Christ is not equal with God the Father, that's heresy. Okay, we can't ever say that. So the fact alone that submission is in the Bible and it's presented in the Bible is something that Jesus Christ does, the Holy Spirit does. That tells you this has nothing to do with being equal. Nothing to do at all with that. This is a difference of roles. So um, daughters, we have to realize that, yes, we are to obey our Father. But there comes a time when you grow up out of your home and you're actually no longer in that home anymore. And there's actually gonna be decisions that you have to make on your own. Before I even get into that, I wanna back up and say that you have to notice here, it doesn't say wives submit to husbands as in it's wives submit to men. It says wives submit to your own husband. So this isn't a a command for all women to follow all men. And it's not a gender thing at all. This is a husband and a wife issue. And I've seen a lot of times in my life where you have a young woman, she grows up, she's, she's got a college degree, whatever, she's got a career, she's got a job, she's on her own. She's not a dependent on the tax form anymore in any way, but she still feels like she has to follow everything her dad says. And it's almost like we've created in this Christian culture, in this Christian world, like, okay, you're under your dad's authority until he hands you off to the next man and walks you down the aisle, do you see that in scripture? You really don't. You don't see that in scripture at all. And I think it's it's a, it's important for young women to understand this. God has given you a mother and a father to raise you up to be an independent, life-giving, breathing adult who has their own will. You were led by the Holy Spirit yourself. So you can't feel like, ah, oh, I, I don't know if I should say this or make this career decision or dress this way. Like, No. If you're an adult and you've grown up, you don't have to submit to other men in your life. You obey your dad. And if your dad loves Jesus and he has good advice, he's going to love you for sure. Listen to him, 100%. But we can't think of it in terms of I have to submit to him until I... No, it's wives submit to your husbands. And little girls grow up and they become young women. And they're supposed to be on their own. They're supposed to be independent. So... It is not degradation. This is not saying that you don't need to listen, but it is saying that you need to grow up and be who God has created you to be. Next one, submission is not dependence. So just like the young woman isn't supposed to be dependent on her dad, women aren't supposed to be solely dependent on their husbands either. Submission uh, does not mean... That a wife gets her own personal spiritual strength and stamina and love and all of that from her husband. Now, of course, I mean, we're going to address this, believe me. Men and the, and the husband is to love his wife. He is to support her. He is to like nur- just, just build her up in, in Christ and do everything he can do to strengthen that relationship with Jesus But you ladies find your spiritual strength, not primarily through your husband in scripture. You primarily find your strength through one man. It's the man Christ Jesus, right? And I mean, this would, you know, I'm sure this is something that is in the background in a lot of our minds right now. What if my husband doesn't even follow Jesus? What if my husband doesn't really love Jesus? Maybe, Maybe he's far from it. So how is, that, how is this supposed to work? Well, First Peter chapter 3 talks a lot about that. I'm going to put that verse up on the screen. First Peter 3 says this, Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if someone some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Is what this passage is implying is, look, ladies, if you have a husband who doesn't love Jesus, You're not called to get your love and your strength from him. You're called, and it's implied, you're called to have that outside of him and to be there and to do that for him. You are to love him, and you are to push him to Jesus Christ with the way you live your life. So this is not dependence on him. This is, I love Jesus, and I can do this through Jesus Christ Christ strength and the strength the Holy Spirit provides for me for my husband. Another one is submission is not debilitating. Here's the next one. It does not mean that you have less worth or dignity and nothing about this word should hold you back or make you feel like you're being harmed. Nothing about it at all. Ladies, God wants you to be fearless and bold, and he wants you to soar and to be leaders. All of those things are in Scripture. They're all there. It's, it's a travesty that people have twisted God's word and they miss that, but the truth of the matter is God is 100% for you to be equal and strong and to be a leader. That has nothing to do with a wife submitting to her husband. Now, you have to realize that you can still be uniquely feminine without having harmful limitations put over you and then calling that submission. See, our world halfway gets this. Uh, They have a huge push for equality and and being a ferocious leader, uh, all those things. And I'm for that. But if you start to lose your feminine features and you start to almost try to compete with masculinity, you've gone too far because there is a difference there. There is a big difference. Being suppressed is harmful, but going too far the other direction is also very harmful. Another thing that submission is not is it's not cultural. Okay? Um, And this, a lot of times this will come from, you, you hear people that are Christians, a segment of Christianity that doesn't understand how much the Bible radically supports women and how much, how pro-women the Bible really is. They don't understand that. They're a little naive in that area. And then they see the abuses and and we see the hardships that women have gone through and, and the wrong things that happen there. And then they try to take this whole cultural approach and read that into the text. It's a big problem. And it starts from the fact of you can't take what you believe to be true and then try to read the Bible into that. It always starts with what does the Bible teach. And if I see the Bible saying something that I don't agree with, there's really one of two things going on. Either I don't fully understand what the Bible is teaching and I don't understand what it really means. Or number two, I need to change my own heart. And I need to change the way I look at it because I am elevating the authority of the Word of God. So when Christians say, hey, this is just a cultural thing, let's look again at the text, and you tell me if it sounds like a cultural thing. Verse, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Does this sound like a AD 60 Greek Ephesus thing to you? Or does this sound like he's pointing it all the way back to Genesis? You tell me, what does verse 23 say? It, he points it right back to this, beautiful picture of, it's more than cultural, this is a picture of Christ and the church. It goes far deeper. It's an outline of God's design for human flourishing. And the Bible has always been radically pro-women, always. I mean, you look at the names that Jesus records in scripture. You got Salome, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Uh, Susanna, these ladies that supported Jesus. I mean, he gave, Jesus gave these ladies equal standing with the men. And I mean, Jesus' teaching on divorce taught that women were not property, but they were a person. He revolutionized the way that his culture looked at that. I mean, we could go on and on down the list. Um, the The way Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about husbands and wives, like the Bible is always elevating women. I mean, one of the greatest examples is the resurrection. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Who were the first people to see that and witness that? It was the women in Jesus' life. If Christianity was this, like, backdoor, good old boy club and they wrote up the whole story and made it up themselves, would they have ever made women be the first witnesses and at the time? Like, women's, women's word wouldn't even hold up in court. Of course they wouldn't have done that. The Bible elevates Women, it always has, in all of the rites that women celebrate today and, and enjoy today, they are rooted in biblical principles. It comes from the Bible. So this is not a cultural thing, and this is also not a result of the fall. I realize I am going on and on on this list. you see how messed up our thinking though is of of submission and how how much dust we have to clear out of the air before we can really even, I I could throw anything on this list. I mean, submission is not sexual. I mean, it could go on and on. And I know I'm like half joking about that, but at the same time, people probably are confused about that. This is the last one I have for you. It's not a result of the fall. So when you see Genesis 1, 2, and 3, this is super important. You see the order that God has created and the design for marriage that God has created. And submission is not something that came after the fall. It's not. It's actually actually something that was established before sin entered the world. It's very important that we remember that. that. Genesis 2 verse 18, uh, this is one of the verses that talks about this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And we're going to get more into this whole word helper. Don't don't freak out about that word. It doesn't mean that you're just some assistant. It means that you have complementary strengths. Complementary strengths. It's so crucial that we see that. And honestly, in Genesis, you do have two results of the fall. For the, for the wife specifically. There's a lot of results of the fall. But specifically for the wife, there's two things there. One, there will be extra pain in child delivery. And number two, when you look at the original language, the wife, one of her, one of her new sinful, sin nature desires will to have authority and to control her husband. Which again assumes that the husband had the authority before the fall. So ladies, when you want to fight back and you don't want to follow the leadership that God has set in the home, is what that is, it's, it's, your, own, it's your own sin nature. It's a result of the fall, okay? And, and men have the same desire the other way, to just yield, to kick back, kick up their feet, be lazy, be stupid, just do whatever the wife wants to do. I mean, that's always been a problem. I mean, this is an outdated term, but back in the 90s, they, we always called it like, she wears the the pants in the family. She, you know, if you know, have you heard that phrase? Like, it's the same concept here. We've always been dealing with that. It's very important that we understand submission is not a result of the fall. It's the design God has for marriage. And I would describe it this way. It's not like, ladies, you're Robin and he's Batman. You're just the sidekick, okay? We have to replace that whole idea. No, you are equal. You're not a sidekick who's just there to chip in and chime in where need be. No, ladies, you're more like Wonder Woman, okay? You are, it's like Batman and Wonder Woman working together, and that's better than the original dynamic duo. It really is. I mean, Wonder Woman and Batman, who's stronger, who's better? I don't know. We could debate that all day. They both have different strengths they both have their own weaknesses but if they came together and became one look out world right look out bad guys no no one's going to take them down and ladies that's who you are you're not a robin sidekick you are a wonder woman according to the bible all of the truths of the identity of the child of god and the children of god they're just as true for the women as they are for the men there's there's, there's, there's no difference there. The Bible is not being exclusive to men. Women, you were also fearfully and wonderfully made, just like the men. So is this recapturing the essence of what submission is for you? Is this starting to help? Are you starting to see um, the beautiful role of submission in the, in the marriage? Well, this is going to build off of our second point here, point number two today. Follow the designer's instructions. Follow the designer's instructions. So we just spent a lot of time on what submission was not, a lot of time on that. Now let's spend a little bit of time on what submission actually is. What does this look like? And according to the text today, there are two key elements. First one is at the end of verse 22. Look at the end of verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You can't miss that one. The reason and the motivation that wives are given this, this role to voluntarily submit to the leadership of their husband in the home is because it's a way to serve the Lord. This is what honors the Lord, and it's his plan for marriage. So if a husband asks you to do something and it's contrary to God's word, well, you know what? There's something that takes precedence over that, and it's the authority of the Lord, You aren't required to submit there. Husbands, um, this authority doesn't come from you. The fact that you're a man, like some people in our world try to tell us, it doesn't come from you. It comes from God, right? As to the Lord. God is on the top of the chain of command. So if husbands are leading in a way that Jesus Christ led us, with self-sacrificing love. That's the order that God has put in place. And Christian wives are going to want to submit to their husbands if that's the case. There's going to be a natural response there. And this response of submission is actually a way that we worship the Lord. It's a way that we obey the Lord. The second key phrase in verse 23 is, is right there, head of the wife. And... Again, before we get all riled up about this one, remember, we can't let culture dictate um, our interpretation of the Bible. We can't ever let our own feelings impact the way we interpret God's truth. And it's a fallacy to use the misuse of something to dismiss and invalidate the right use of something. Some of us have experienced very harmful authorities in our life. We've seen abuses of that and, and we've seen cruel husbands, and we all react to that in different ways. There's been a lot of discussion about this term head, the, for the husband is the head of the wife. People have written books about this. I mean, as you can tell, very debated word. Is the husband the head of the wife? Going even deeper than just what the Bible says, um, some people will take the Genesis account and they'll look at that, that root word and they'll say, hey, you know what? In the Greek, this word kephel, head, this actually goes back all the way to Genesis where um, as God made Adam and he, then he made Eve, he took a rib out of Adam and he made Eve from Adam. So that, that root, w- root word kephel doesn't necessarily mean authority. It means source that's, that's a whole other topic. We aren't, aren't going to really get into that. I just want to say this. There's been a lot of people who have just gone over and over this. And Wayne Grudem, one of the, biblical, one of the greatest biblical scholars of our day, um, studied this for like a whole year. And he looked at the 2,336 times that kafel is used in the Koine Greek. And guess how many times it meant source, not authority, Zero, zero times, okay? So we can try to make this case that, oh, yeah, the woman is just from the man. And no, biblically speaking, God has established in the home the man to be the authority, to be the head. And we cannot get around that any other way. And now, ladies, I want you to understand God's not holding out on you. Not at all. Um, there is gonna be someone in anything that is important, that's valuable. Someone has to make the final call, right? The buck has to stop somewhere. Every family, every sports team, every business needs a leader that has to make the final gut-wrenching decisions. When everything is out there on the table, they, they have to make that tough call. You can't have order if the buck doesn't stop somewhere. In our sinful natures, we desire to reject authority, but that authority that we see here in the home is modeled after our self-sacrificing Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of authority that no one would ever have a problem following, submitting to. And Remember remember in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell and they sinned? Who did God go to first after that, after Adam and Eve sinned? He went to Adam first and he talked to Adam because God had established the man to be the head of the home. God is laying out the blueprints. He is the designer of the marriage, not us. He instituted marriage. And if you don't follow the Lego instructions, you don't get what the brickmaster created. And if you don't follow the order and the plan that the designer of the marriage has set up, It's going to be off. God's design for marriage is for a husband and a wife to mutually talk through things. And if there are disagreements, there's going to have to be unity and someone is going to have to submit. Ladies, you don't have to agree with everything your husband says. But ultimately, your husband has been given the extra weighty responsibility of answering to God with his role. We aren't talking about where to go to dinner. We are talking about significant, spiritually weighty decisions. How are we going to serve? How much money are we going to tithe and give generously? How are we going to discipline and exhort our children? This isn't about leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar, ladies. I mean, Julie sees things that I don't see, and she points things out that I don't look at the right way. She's incredible and gifted in ways I'm not, and she makes this church a thousand times better. Every healthy marriage should have men and women deferring to each other and mutually submitting to each other in their respective agreed-upon areas of expertise. If Julie had to submit to me on every last detail of the interior design of our house, it would not be pretty, okay? In, in more ways than one. But at the end of the day, if she's spending money and that, that we don't have, that's a problem. Thankfully, she's really good at making things look like our budget was twice as big as it actually was. You want a sneak peek at next week? Husbands, celebrate your wife because Jesus Christ celebrates his church. Make sure you allow them to flourish. They should be pushed to blossom with their creativity or organizing skills or whatever talents they have. Those are the instructions we are given by our designer. There's something else we see from Genesis 3. So just to be clear, first of all, I've already alluded to the fact that the fall did not create this place where the wife is punished and is now under the authority of her husband. The headship was already established before the fall. And God said that it was good. According to Genesis 3, there are two totally different results of the curse of sin. One is pain in childbearing. And number two, when you break down the original language there, the other part of that is her desire will be to seek control over the authority of her husband. Which again implies that he already had it. So ladies... Part of your fallen nature is that you want to rebel against your God-given role, and you want to take that authority. The man's temptation is to just yield over his responsibility, to be lazy and weak, and just roll over with whatever the missus says. Happy wife, happy life. We see this everywhere. (laughs) This is an outdated phrase, but in the 90s it was summed up in in the phrase, she wears the pants of the family. But that's not the way God designed the marriage to flourish. God puts a ton of weight on the man to lead his home and to love his wife like Christ loves the church. The husband is supposed to be a man who lives a life of sacrifice for his wife and bears the responsibility of making the final call on the hardest decisions. So, how about a definition of submission? About that time, right? Submission is the calling to voluntarily embrace your God-given role of respecting and following the spiritual leadership of your husband in the home. I love how Kathy Keller, the wife of uh, Pastor Tim Keller, who who pastors the Church Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, this is what she said in the book, The Meaning of Marriage. And this book is amazing. I always, always recommend it. Use it for premarital counseling the meaning of marriage, and this is what it says from Kathy Keller. Submission means that in matters of disagreement, I yield to Tim the deciding vote. I get a vote. He gets a vote. He gets the deciding vote. Now, this is rare, and it's totally countercultural, and many people have never even seen something like this practically played out. But this leads us to our last point, which is really where we started. Number three, paint the picture of the gospel. I have heard women who love Jesus talk about submission, how they see it in the Bible. But what they can't understand is why. If it doesn't have anything to do with ability, why did God decide to give two equal people two different roles? Well, look at verses 23 and 24 with me one more time. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Do you see it? Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Now we're going to take a deep dive into this next week. But a loving husband and a submissive wife is a gospel reenactment of Jesus Christ and his church. The bride of Christ is called to submission and respect. And when we see the love and the sacrifice of Jesus, we voluntarily do it joyfully. Those are the same two acts we see in this gospel dramatization. Sacrifice and submission, love and respect The husband plays the role of Jesus, who gives his life for the sake of his bride. And the wife plays the role of the church, who receives grace, love, protection, and honor. And they glorify God together. This is how lost husbands are reached. They look at their wife, what's going on? I mean, she's completely changed. And this should be a prime way that the world sees the gospel played out. Julie and I have some close friends in Miami. We saw them a couple weeks ago at a pastor's and wives retreat. And our friend Jenny is great. She's doing the same type of thing that we're doing. They're, you know, church plant, young church. So we have a lot in common, a lot to talk about. And Jenny does this makeup job as a side job. Down there, people pay a pretty nice price to get their makeup done well so with her job jenny was at this party where there was a famous model as jenny's telling us this story everyone is swooning around her but her husband my friend abiel uh he's there too and he had no idea who this model was and when he didn't recognize her or know who she was she was actually like taken back by that almost offended and it actually started a conversation Jenny loves Jesus. She's a bold witness. And she started talking about their marriage as a way to slide in the gospel. And I can't recall the, all the exact words, but the conversation went something like, how do you stay married and devoted to one man? And Jenny says to this, to this girl who's at the, the peak of her career in the world, well, it starts with denying yourself. The model who's at the height of her popularity reacted the way you would expect. She just laughed that off. But Jenny was able to show that her marriage is different because she looks at it as a picture of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And she was able to sow the seeds of the gospel. Her husband sacrifices and loves her like her Savior, Jesus, who gave his life so she could have a relationship with God. There are people all around us who won't darken the door of a church, but they can see the gospel in your marriage. And when the storms of life start brewing, they will know that the makeup woman at the party had something I don't have. She had a permanent, dedicated relationship that went deeper than looks, deeper than feelings. Ladies, I know your husbands need work. I need work. There's not a man in this room who has arrived. But ladies, do whatever you have to do to get your boyfriends, the men in your life here next week because we're going to hear the most challenging text in the Bible tomorrow. And instead of constantly reminding him of how far he has to go, just remind him how much you want him to be the man that he's called to be. Let him know what you like. When you hear him pray with the kids, tell him how much you love to hear him be a father like that. When you see him make a tough decision, thank him and tell him how much you love to see him lead. And for all the ladies who are in tough relationships right now, you are not called to be a doormat. But if you make loving affirmation the soundtrack of your marriage, you can watch your husband come alive. It takes one of the two to break the cycle and start following the designer's instructions. And when you do your part to paint the picture of the gospel, you will be pouring gasoline on the fire of what God wants for your marriage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submission is such a beautiful role in the design of marriage. And the best way we could possibly end this is with what verse 24 leaves us with. Look again at verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. How does the church submit to Christ? As the bride of Christ, the church follows the lead of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood for us and we receive the grace and the mercy that he provides. Jesus is someone to trust and obey. And as the bride of Christ, the church is waiting for our groom to come. And we should all be living a life that is preparation for that day when we are fully united with Jesus Christ. What are brides doing leading up to their marriage? They're motivated, aren't they? They're focused, determined, they're reading books, they're working out, getting in shape. That should be our posture as the Bride of Christ. We are looking forward to something, and we're getting busy about it.